HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one of your hosts, Darren Bresnitz. Before we get into this week's episode, we are in the middle of Heritage Radio Network's summer fundraiser drive. If you have not donated yet, please go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the donate button usually top right if you can't find it. Your support, your money, your help helps keeps us doing these amazing shows every week, week in, week out. Please donate 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. There's some certain t-shirts, pins, bags. Just get in there. On this week's episode, we are joined by Christian Page, who's the chef and co-owner of the legendary lunch counter Cassell's Hamburgers. Originally opened in the 1940s, it was shuttered in 2012 until he and his partner reopened it, serving up what is one of our favorite patty melts in the city. It's a great place to go to knock back some shakes, some fries, listen to some good tunes, and uh, just have an overall good time. Then we are joined by Hungry Ass Youth, uh, one of our favorite hardcore bands from the San Gabriel Valley. They give a hell of a performance singing about pizza, friendship, and just all other good stuff. Uh, there's also a little bit of a Ultimate Warrior Easter egg. See if you can catch it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Yeah. 
Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here with Christian Page, chef and owner of Cassell's Hamburgers at, we just found out, our shared squash club in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I guess if you're from the East Coast and you have any fancy for squash, this is where you wind up. That is true. And you, and you run into a lot of other like-minded people here. And it's definitely a, a much smaller universe here. And you meet some really interesting people. It's a good club. It's a good club. Um, you grew up in Connecticut, right? I did. Uh, and uh, you grew up with a garden at your house, which um, not the norm in Connecticut. No, yeah, not, especially not in uh, Fairfield County. But yeah, no, we had <laughs> shout huge... out to Fairfield. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh, we had a huge gardens actually at our house. And once you get a certain age, you get to get your own plot. Wait, define and, huge. Uh, like I mean, you know, you know, you you would have probably we had like about an acre, wow. acre and a half, and probably you know a good third of it was devoted to you know produce and chickens and rabbits and so very bucolic, yeah, if you will, yeah, yeah, a lot of apple trees and crab apple trees that you made jam from. We had a raspberry patch, a blueberry patch, an asparagus patch, which is not something you hear of very often. Not at all. It so, takes seven years to get that thing to fruit. Um, so uh, in those early years, were it was like indentured servitude until, the, until, you, until you earn the right. So you got your own plot. <laughs> like, all right, mom, dad, I've worked off the debt. Um, or, uh, and when you got your own plot, did you like teenage style it? Like, ah, fuck you, mom and dad. Like, I'm going to make. <laughs> I'm growing some crazy I'm growing, shit. Growing I'm growing weed. <laughs> we got blackberries. We got weed. Uh, what did you plant? What did you grow? Uh, when I got my own plot, basically, uh, I, w- I went, uh, I-, I built a-, a-, a really cool garden, high high walls, because you got to keep all those crazy deer out. And you, oh, yeah. get, you know, they're everywhere. Yeah. And, um, I just I just got prolific with it, you know. I had things growing up the walls. I had strings going the top, and all of all of the uh, like trellised plants that you could do, like cucumbers and some and melons and tomatoes, were all just growing across the top of it in a crisscross. It was a pretty cool place to hang out. I mean, growing up and literally growing your own food in Connecticut was probably mm-hmm. a different experience than your fellow classmates. Did it give you a different appreciation for food younger on? How did that follow you through life? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, it was that. And, and I also we, we, I raised bees with my dad. And mm. When you would call the cops and you had a bee swarm at your house, it was me and my dad who would show up with our crazy hats and gloves and steal the queen into the box and take your bees back to our place and yeah. add another super. Um, but it definitely just gave me a deeper appreciation for ingredients. And back then in, in, in Connecticut, you know, if you went to the grocery store, you weren't going to get like a necessarily beautiful produce, right? I mean, this was what years? I mean, you're talking, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't mind dating myself, <laughs> but this, just turned 40 less, this weekend. But this was not the era this of is, like the Whole Foods and like the organic grocery No, you didn't like have that. it. Yeah. yeah. It, was the, yeah. It, was the, it was the, it was the Atlantic and Pacific, the AMP market. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the pathways tom- and things like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Tomatoes weren't, weren't vine ripe. They were ripening with, what do they spray them with? I don't know. I don't know. What nitrogen or yeah. something. <laughs> and, you know, and stuff didn't have as much flavor so you do it i could i could even as a young kid you could really taste the difference between if you bought something at the store if it was something that you had grown yeah. over the growing season obviously in the winter you went to the store um and did you cook a lot at home too did you guys use that or was it what was it i mean what was the purpose of having that big of a garden and, and having your own bees you know was mom and dad really into i don't know I, yeah i don't know i mean i guess they were just into it i mean my dad wasn't into food 
business. He was in finance. Um, but I think, you know, their parents, you know, probably the same thing. My grandfather had bees and had big gardens. And I think I think it was just a appreciation for food. And it's, and it's also, a, you know, it's a very zen thing to do. Especially out working there. in finance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like a, a carrot's going to grow the way a carrot's going to grow. You don't always have that same control over the markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so was it uh, being around food and, and having that appreciation for it? Is that what led you going to culinary school? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also I, I started cooking a lot when I was younger. You know, my mom would cook dinner and, you know, if if it was something you didn't like, she would basically, I have, I have five brothers and sisters too, and she'd just tell you, you know, if you don't like it, you better learn how to cook. So I took her up on that. And uh, I started, and she actually started taking me to cooking classes when I was young. Um, the first class I ever went to was like a pastry and chocolate class when I was like 12 or 13 years old. And I remember feeling like super embarrassed when I went to the, into this class. And it's, you know, there was, you know, I was the only young person there. Everybody there had to be, you know, at least, you know, 40 years old. And, um, but they like really embraced having a young kid in there and really having fun with it. And, and since that, I just kept going. I started, I started working in restaurants when I was 14 cooking. Uh, like You're actually cooking? Yeah. One of our, a teacher in my school owned a restaurant also. And so they, he let me come work. I mean, you probably weren't supposed to work when you were 14. No. It was a different time. <laughs> it was a different it was time. A, it was a different time. It's when you could be a dishwasher and then work your way up to being a line cook. Yeah. You know, and it's like. I washed a lot of dishes. I washed a lot of dishes. I mean, I, I wore, you know, I started in restaurants too. You mm-hmm. know, and I was like, should I be using the deli slicer? And they're like, just be careful of those fingers. Um, what, that, that guy's not here today. So, yeah, we're going to need you to use the deli yeah, slicer. There was, there was so much of that. Um, of those classic stories of where he's not here, so you get bumped up and then you yeah. just stay up. Yep, yep. That's how, that's how I got. That's how I got onto the hotline. Is I would work Sundays and nobody else, of course, wanted to work Sundays. I didn't think about it being a kid. Yeah. And then you know, and it's Sunday, and so the guys who are supposed to work on the hotline on Sundays, they get fucked up on Saturday. Saturday yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So you're there. Uh, one of the things I like about you going to, in addition to uh, cooking schools, that you also went to business school. Which I feel yeah. like is a huge missing thing about uh, education in going into restaurant or getting into mm-hmm. the field. Um, what was the? Why did you want to go do both? Or were your parents like, you can go to cooking school, but you also have to go to business school? Well, it actually started out more like my dad being like, you can go to business school if you want to go to cooking school. You can pay for cooking school. Sure. And uh, he took me on college tours, like took me all around the East Coast looking at different colleges. And I was like, holy shit, this is what they do in college? Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll go to college. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I went to college, had a blast, but was still working in restaurants. And um, when I got out, uh, I decided, you know, like I worked in finance for a couple of years and, and then I decided, uh, or actually for a year. And then I decided I, actually, I wanted to go to culinary school. Like I, I was like, oh, I should have just gone to culinary school. Yeah. But they have fun too. So I went, I went to culinary school, French Culinary Institute in Manhattan, uh, now the International Culinary Center, I yep. believe. Yeah. <clears throat> so I went there. It was an awesome experience. I went there at nights while I was still working in finance during the day. And then I started working in restaurants at night um, while still working in finance during the day. Where were you working? Uh, I worked, uh, I did stints at Savoy. And then I actually met Brian Bistrong, who is the chef of the Harrison. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we became really good friends. And then I really just worked at the Harrison for the rest of the time. Started a catering business. And then uh, 
was still working in finance. I kind of couldn't get myself away from the the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're talking about probably polar opposites as far as the paychecks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then what eventually won food over? And did you know that because of this business that owning a restaurant was going to have to be part of the ultimate deal? The, yeah. Just being like a line no, cook somewhere yeah. wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's why I decided like to just... I just said I'm just going to completely extract myself from the East Coast. So I came over here. I went to business school at USC, and I figured that would give me, like, sort of networking opportunity to mm-hmm. find and meet people. And, you know, I knew I had enough enough cooking chops that I could get it done and, and do some pretty cool things. And I've been cooking a long time. Um, and uh, and so I came over, went to USC for business school, which basically is two years of people telling you not to open a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's they're they're like, well, you can open up a restaurant, or you can just put your money into this fire pit. And get <laughs> yeah. the same result. But you know, at that time to um, go from New York, which was really the the epicenter of food in America at that time, to LA, which was not at all what it is today. Was that a consideration? All did you see more opportunity? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so part of my job for finance, I used to come out to LA like, mm-hmm. uh, like a couple times, a couple times like a month, uh, a couple times a quarter, really. And so I started looking at the food scene out here, and I was going to the green markets and everything, and just blown away. <laughs> I mean, you know? look, you know. Danny Meyer did a nice job with Union Square, <laughs> yeah. but it's not like Santa Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just not, and also it's not all year round like it is out here. It's no. crazy. So so I just got I was I, I figured you know what like I'll go there. I don't know anybody. I literally knew I knew one person from my college who had moved out here. Uh, I didn't know anybody else. And I figured it was a great way to just go out and have a fresh start and reinvent yourself and just do what you what I wanted to do and no outside influence and you know so far so good yeah um so when you were out here were you cooking at all or how did you get yourself immersed into the food scene in LA so you know I went went to went to USC while I was at USC I, I was networking with you know people who were around who were in restaurants and it wasn't really uh into you know fun funnily enough the first person who I met and helped open a restaurant was someone I met playing squash. Mm. Um, it's a good game for that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. Right? <laughs> I'm surprised that more parents don't have their kids play squash. I feel like you get into college that way. Yeah. Oh, you absolutely get into college that way. Yeah. yeah. They got whole programs now just, just to help you get into college. I see the USC playing guys playing on our courts. Yeah. Yep. Maybe, maybe that's why they're so beat off. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually the... Um, conditioning coach for the squash team when I was in grad school. Oh, nice. Because I, I just needed other other things to do besides grad school and, uh, you know, to entertain myself. And I used to travel around with those guys and, fuck, man, made me wish I played squash in college. I know, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, so you met a squash buddy and he got you into the food world? Well, and we just, yeah, he wasn't in the food world yet, you know, but he really wanted to open a restaurant. So I met a squash buddy. Um, we we started uh, going around and like you know doing a real like buying direct from all the farms thing sure. and getting into all that. Then we opened a little cafe, and uh, but soon after that, I decided that that kind of wasn't that wasn't for me. Um, you know, it was like a partnership and like a lot of partnerships and relationships they they can end they can end and they can end poorly they can really end poorly you know look when the look when it's high stress and the and the, the money and the margins are tight uh, you get to see who people really are 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And quickly, too. Absolutely. And then you go, did I see that personality on the court when you lost a point? Maybe I did. You know what? I think I did. I think I did. I think I did see that. Um, All right, well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about you getting involved uh, with uh, Short Order, uh, and then we'll Mm -hmm. talk about uh, how you get involved with Cassell's. Uh, We have a song from the archives here on Heritage Radio Network on Snacky Tunes. Enjoy.
episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We're here with Christian Page, chef and owner of Cassell's Hamburgers. So you're in L.A., you got the business degree, you've done cooking school, you've had your first cafe and partnership over with. Uh, how did you get involved with Bill Chait, Nancy Silverton, and Short Order? Uh, so, so I had, I had really gotten into the whole, um, farm to table scene and I was going around and I was buying a lot of, um, grass fed beef direct from ranches and breaking it down and buying the whole pigs and doing, doing that type of thing. And what year is this? Just so, cause people like, yeah. this was not common. No, no. Yeah. This is like 2009, yeah. 2010. Um, it's amazing what people take nine ten years ago was crazy yeah oh totally i mean people people would come just to watch us so, and and well and so to that point when my brother was a butcher he flew out here so he was helping break down these whole cuts of beef because it's not an easy thing no. to do and back then there wasn't really a lot of people know how to do it he worked as like a commercial butcher right I mean, he was working in a very nice plant in colorado so they were doing a lot of um a lot of uh you know um high quality mm-hmm. product uh, so, but he, but you know, he was, you know, he was killing and, and cutting, you know, I don't even know, 10, 20, 30 beef a day. I mean, crazy wow. stuff. He's super fast. He wasn't uh, artisanal butcher, right? No. He was, it was hanging from the hook and he was getting into it like real fast oh, and, yeah. and ripping it apart. It's actually really interesting to watch because it's still very precise. It's, yeah. it's an extremely precise thing, um, but not sort of laid out on the chef's table and, and, yeah. And, Come in here. <laughs> we have Vivaldi playing. But I turned him into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 uh, we were we were doing that, and we went and started cooking. At, I started cooking as a chef at Bill Chate's Test Kitchen. Somebody yeah. tapped me to come over there and cook, and so I was cooking a bunch of dinners there. And we were always upstairs while the restaurant was going on downstairs, and we'd be breaking down quarters of beef and breaking down pigs and doing interesting things. And you know, I guess it caught some people's eye when we were doing that. And Amy Pressman, who was the original chef and the and the um, person who had the concept of short order and shortcake, uh, was interested to find an executive chef, and so um, she looked to me to be a possible person to help out. And then um, Nancy was talking to uh, some. Christian Schaefer from Rocker Brothers mm-hmm. and asking her like who knew about like a lot about beef and a lot about that and he had mentioned my name also and so I went to meet with um, Nancy and, and Amy and Bill and we all talked and we realized we all had very similar food philosophies and that mine worked well with what they were trying to do with short order yeah and so I ended up getting involved like that and we, we opened that restaurant it was a it was a beast um, and, you know, I was lucky that they took a chance on me because it was a huge operation for somebody that, you know, frankly didn't have that much experience with something that big. Now, there was a lot of people involved. Um, and, uh, you know, we learned a lot of things really quickly. Um, well, also, you had the 
I guess, the, the luck of also being at the farmer's market, mm-hmm. which meant that you had a great sort of set crowd who was coming no matter what. You know, you would think that's a good location, but it's not. Really? So you, back then, you didn't really have Uber like you have now. Yeah. You have a, a, you have a undersized parking lot for the yeah. original farmer's market for what it is. And so, you know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't wanted that would wanted to come there but wouldn't deal with the obstacle of the parking in order to get there so the people would come they would enjoy it but it, it was difficult to come back as often as they'd probably like because you had to deal with that crazy parking there. i don't know if you've ever parked at the farmer's market but that's someone where someone will they'll literally back into your spot oh yeah <laughs> it's gotten better they put in that high-rise parking structure yeah, yeah for the grove for the yeah. grove yeah um so you're there uh i mean if you you said you learned a lot Mm-hmm. What's one or two lessons that you learned that maybe uh, upended <coughs> your your thinking? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I mean, you realize that location, location, location is still the most important thing. Sure. And it doesn't mean that you need to be in a prime location, but it means that your location needs to work. You need to have the right access. You yeah. Know? You need to have a compelling location, which it was a compelling location and a beautiful build out. So it was a really nice place to hang out. We had great food. Um, and then, and then, you know, there was, um, I would, it's really difficult to service a two story restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's crazy to be buying whole beef when you're walking is on the second floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were carrying, you know, 300 pound pieces of meat up the stairs. Yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, I just, other than that, I mean, a lot of things were amazing about it. I mean, it was the first time that, for myself, that I'd really seen like a craft cocktail program mixed into, uh, mixed into a like a craft, but like casual burger place. Yeah, yeah, to a burger place. Yeah, but it worked. I mean, we sold so many cocktails, and we we sold so little wine. That's I was how, that's how you keep the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. Mean, those margins on cocktails are a beautiful thing. Yeah. I always thought you would sell wine and beer and not as many cocktails, but, you know, it was wine was really low and beer and cocktails were high, and you'd seen that trend as just, you know, proliferated now. So you were there for about two, three years? Mm-hmm. I was uh, there for about, yeah, three years. Yeah. Um, when did you decide that it was time to go? I mean, you're working with arguably... <laughs> a few of the best well-known restaurateurs in yeah. all of LA. Uh, you have a successful place. You're doing stuff. You have this great opportunity. What made you want to change? Well, I'd learned a lot from, I learned a lot from Bill. I learned a ton from Nancy. Uh, I learned a lot from Amy and, um, and also learned a lot from running a bakery with, with a wholesale program that we built and from, um, you know, running a whole animal butchery program at the restaurant and learned a ton about wood fire and, um, and, you know, how to run a restaurant that's doing a lot of volume. And, and, you know, it just, like you said, at some point ownership had to become part of the plan. Yeah. And, you know, there I felt like we had gotten to like a, the level that that restaurant was going to get to. And, um, it was time to sort of move on and do my own project. And I had been looking at uh, this space with Jingbo Lu, who's my partner now at Cassell's. And it was a really interesting opportunity. And, you know, it was a location that he was really believed in. And said Moses had already signed on to do the bars at his hotel. He was redoing the Hotel Normandy. Yeah. So for people who are unfamiliar, mm-hmm. let's, let's break it down too. For people who are unfamiliar with Cassell's, what is the history of Cassell's? So Cassell's uh, is a brand that's been around since 1948. And before there was 
so much food press as there is now. It was getting international food press for just having the best hamburger. Uh, it was a lunch counter that was in uh, what is now called Koreatown, mm-hmm. which is a, it was a couple blocks down from the Hotel Normandy. Um, and shout out to Al Cassell, mm-hmm. who opened it up, iconic lunch <coughs> counter. And then who is Jingbo? Uh, Jingbo is an architect and, and uh, accidental hotelier. Uh, he, you know, he now has the hotel and he's also now a restaurateur and he's just an all-around good guy. <laughs> and then finally, Hotel Normandy, what is that? And what is that complex there? So Hotel Normandy had uh, gone through many iterations since 1926 and Jingbo is a historic restoration architect. So he was taking what had started out as a really beautiful hotel back in 1926, had turned into... Um, many different things, an old folks home, then a weed hotel, and then basically a flop house. Mm. Um, and he decided that he was going to restore this hotel in Koreatown, which is a booming spot now. But oh five God. years ago, nobody was thinking about that. I six six years ago, nobody was thinking about no. that. You know? Koreatown's like the hip spot. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he redid the hotel. He wanted to put in sort of a classic something classic and some kind of American food, just, just thinking that there's already enough Korean food around in Koreatown. Yeah. So you wanted to put something in American, and so you know we had agreed on that, and we decided to develop that brand together. And so you know it was, for me, once, once I saw the, the whole picture, I said, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. And you know, it turned out to be a really good location as the whole neighborhood around us evolved with us. So at first, honestly, we didn't even we weren't we weren't quite sure what we were doing. We were trying to keep it real to what the original concept was. It got so famous because Al Cassell would be there every day in the window, grinding the meat in the morning, yeah. and then they'd be cooking the burgers in the afternoon and we you know, I was knew how to grind meat, knew how to do all that and so it transferred well. <clears throat> the only difference of course is we grind the meat in the walk in, so it's, yeah. it's a little safer. <laughs> and it stays nice and cold. Yeah. I mean, how do you balance that cuz you know, you, you bought essentially, which is a heritage brand mm-hmm. that people love mm-hmm. and people probably think they know better than you, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, which let's be fair, the customers that have been going there for 30 years probably have their own opinions about the burgers, the potato salad, the french yep, fries, yep, yep. and like that. So how do you balance that respect for the heritage, but reinvent it and add your own stamp on it? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so you know, during the, during the process of, you know, figuring out what the brand was, what, what it was going to be. You know, we did a lot of research. Um, you know, we talked with some of the old cooks. We read through all the old recipes. And we made sure that the core of the menu is the same menu that was there before. Yeah. You know, we've got the grilled ham and cheese. We've got the tuna melt. We've got the potato salad. Love the tuna melt. Thank you. But, but what we did was we took, like, the idea of what made the burger famous and and what you know th- things i had learned along the way which from nancy was you know poaching tuna and pickle juice mm. and so we do that we get fresh albacore loins poke it poach it in pickle juice and then um and then you know we still make our own mayo just like we did at shorter just yeah. like al Cassell did at Cassell's. and you mix it and you keep it very simple and so to us since it's going to be now a three-day part restaurant uh, for a hotel, you know, we had to re-envision the menu, and, and it's and it's a pretty easy step to say, look, it was a it was a classic hamburger lunch counter, and let's just turn it into a classic Americana diner. Yeah, I right? mean, it's great. Uh, you know, breakfast I get to jump to. That's pretty easy. Mm-hmm. What do you do for dinner though? Dinner, it's the same. It's the same menu. Um, we toyed around with the idea of adding other things to the menu, but in this 
location and this iteration of it, it seems like it, it works the way it is. Yeah. People like it the way it is, and you just don't need to fuss with it too much. At the end of the day, you really just want a hamburger and fries in your hotel room. Yeah, like, and you're exactly. Like, <laughs> you're like, maybe I'll get the, the, you know, the shrimp salad or something. It's like, no, you just you want to shut the door, you yep. want to have a glass of bourbon, and eat a hamburger. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what made you decide to uh, open up a, a secondary location in downtown L.A.? Um, you know, you got a popular restaurant. It's always tough to have lightning strike twice. Uh, what what goes into that decision? Well, I mean, I've lived in downtown for the last ten years. Yeah. So I, I would like. To, I was always wanting to have something down here. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was more of what what we thought was a good location came along. Um, our our good friend said Moses had that space. He had a pizzeria there next to the Gopher. Yeah, he just kind of wasn't interested in operating the pizzeria anymore, and so we made a deal and took over the space. And um, we had kind of been sitting on it for a little while. We were thinking, oh well, should we put something else there, or should we put another Cassells there? And then that whole strip on Eighth between Olive and Hill just you know started getting developed, and so we just hurried up and opened yeah. another Cassells. And you know, it's only been a few months, a couple months. And uh, so far, so good. Um, and uh, just like the original Cassells, we're still waiting for our liquor license. <laughs> wow. But, but once we get it, it'll be even better. God, the city sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, we'll, we'll save that for the off-the-record conversation. <laughs> um, and what, is there any difference, different menu items, different approach? You know, I mean, because you're not servicing a hotel, are there things that you can do at this location versus that you can't do because you have to? Do like room service and things like that. Well, no, I mean the I mean the the only the only real differences is that like in the original location, you know, we have a full liquor license, we have a full bar program, a full coffee program. It's a bigger space. Um, we have a beautiful patio that we just opened over there. Mm-hmm. So it's just a it's a bigger space, a bigger version of it, and this is sort of going to be like the little brother. So it's got like. It's got a few less seats, but still the same cozy decor that we have over there. All the hand-painted signs, a lot of wood, the open kitchen, um, and it's just going to be beer and wine. Um, if you want, if you want to get a cocktail, there's a kiosk in the Gopher, so you can order all the food that you want from Cassell's mm. and sit over there and you know sip on a good cocktail or nice glass of bourbon. You can mm. wear your bathrobe if you want. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I or know. maybe I can get the burger, walk down the street, and have a. Be my bathrobe here at the club. Yeah. Um, so what's next? What do you see on the horizon? Do you see location three, four, five, or is it a whole new concept? Um, so I think no. I think for now, you know, we've got this, and we've got the one at the airport, Terminal One Southwest. Mm. And so what? What our focus is in in the near future is just trying to keep everything tight, um, trying to get everything stabilized, and make sure the quality is right. And um, we're always looking for new location, you know, but. Uh, we kind of have three different business models now, and we're just sort of sorting out which we want to do next. And for me, I think the the full-service diner model with the full cocktail program that we have is what we want to go with. And so we're on the lookout for good neighborhoods. And just like sort of Koreatown was when we went there, you know, something that's up and coming, and we can get in early in that kind of neighborhood. So that's what I think would be the best next location but there's no rush to find it no rush yeah i mean look i've always felt that the restaurants that are here day after day are the neighborhood spots and you know people like you and people like al are the people who keep keep the people coming back 
Yeah, yeah, and it's important. I mean, it's like you said, you know, like how did we make sure like people who knew the brand so much longer than we did and came in all the time is. So when I used to, I used to be in the restaurant and it's all you know glass windows yeah. on a hard corner, and I'd be in there doing recipe testing and I would just leave the door open, and so when people would walk by, they would poke their head in. And be like, oh, so you're gonna reopen Cassell's, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, come in, come, come in. in. Come, come in, give me a tip. <laughs> Try this potato salad. Try that potato salad. <laughs> well, Christian, thank you so much. If people wanna get more information on the restaurant, where can they go? Uh, you can go to cassellshamburgers.com. Uh, you could uh, go to our Instagram page, you know, and uh, come, come check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm excited to dig into some food. And uh, we have another song from the archives and then a live band coming up next here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. One, two, one, two, ready, go.
Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. Hi, my name is Sam Ben Ruby, and I'm the host of The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. With this show, we bring wine to the people. Each week, we bring the best guests in wine on, taste different wines on air, and invite our listeners to taste with us. You'll find our approach to wine decidedly unsnobby. You can find The Grape Nation wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are sitting in the legendary Danger Bird Record Studios. It's finally sunny in LA and we have a legendary food punk hardcore band from the SJV, Hungry Ass Youth. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Yo, what's yeah. up? What's going on? Glad to be here. <laughs> yes. I like that introduction. That was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Um, so the concept of hungry is this like really big idea of either being hungry in the belly, but like hungry for wanting more. And it's a big part of who you guys are and about your name. And I love to talk about what hungry means to you. And then also why you wanted to put that, you know, in your band name. Well, being a, you want to take it? No, I was just going to say, I'll let Jesse kick it Ah, off. He's he's better. I think you guys can just like the interview should just be you letting other people, yeah, yeah, Josh, you want to take this? No, Flea, you take it. I'll start it. Yeah. Kick it off. Uh, growing up, you know, I, I grew up in an extended family. There was a lot of us in one house. And also being Latino, we love to eat. Like, we're, our, I feel like our culture is, is very centered around eating, getting together, like sharing our stories and whatnot. So my family ate a lot. And my nickname growing up was actually Fat Ass. But it was a term of endearment. Like, it wasn't like... If right, because ass in your band is also a term right. of endearment. It's not... No, well, that's a, the idea of... Like, uh, the hungry ass and youth has its own meaning. Like, each word has its own meaning. But getting back to, like, yeah, growing up, uh, we were very, like, had a big family. We ate a lot. So my nickname was Fat Ass. My my nick, my brother's nickname was Fat Boy. And then, like, if you go to, a lot of households are like that. Like, the next one will be like, Gorda, Gordo. Gordo, Chancho. Chancho. Like, yeah. all, all, all that pretty much means in Spanish is, like, you're bigger. You're a little plus. You're more, you're more to to hug or whatever, but uh, more to love. Exactly, but the the actual name hungry is a hungry for life, like a like a hungry for just wanting to consume anything. Uh, would you agree, Flea? Yeah, well, yeah, we consume over consume over consumption. I would say we eat a lot of food, we drink a lot of beer. <laughs> yeah, I would say we drink. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's like a metaphor for just a hunger for everything, hunger for life. Could be anything, good or, or bad. Ass is a reference to the 90s because back in those days and at least in Southern California, I don't know if this was happening in New York, we would say ass for everything. Like, that's a big-ass soda. That's a big-ass pizza. That's a dumb-ass, yeah, dumb-ass yeah. dude or whatever. Like, just ass is in the middle. So a hungry ass and then the youth was a play on all the hardcore bands that have youth in, the, youth in, of in today, their name. Youth Brigade. Youth Brigade. Youth, Brigade, yeah. youth of today. The list goes on Narcoleptic youth. Like, yeah. To, uh, you, yeah, you said yeah. Reagan used. Yeah, we just pretty much wanted to come up with the wacky sounding band name. Uh, you know, we weren't very serious in the beginning. And then later on, we did start getting a little, you know, serious. It kind of bit us in the ass because uh, a lot of promoters kind of looked yeah. at us like, oh, this band has a dumbass name. You know, exactly. I, I don't really want to put them you on know, my show. When you're younger and you pick a name, you never think that like 10 years later or 15 years later, you're like, oh crap, that name, that name is our yeah. name now. Yep. Um, or 30 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the crazy thing about the band. I've actually never heard this before, and I'm, I don't want to butcher the story, but Go for it. the band actually started in the 80s, right? Or like an iteration of the band started. Actually, to clarify that, when we first started, 
uh, to get more press, we kind of fabricated a story <laughs> yeah. about our beginnings, yeah. and we took legit we took legit pictures because we realized that kids oh they didn't really at, at least in our, in our time they didn't give a crap if you were a new band barely starting out. They liked it when oh. From yeah. the 80s? Oh, okay. So if, even if you sucked, if you're from the 80s, you were yeah. golden. So, so wait, so what's the story? The, the fabricated story? Yeah, give us the fabricated yeah, I'll, I'll story. Tell you yeah. you want to give it, Flea? Well, me and Jesse were sitting down, you know, drinking some beers, and we came up with this. We are saying, let's, you know, let's play a trick on the scene, whatever, whoever cares. <laughs> At the time, we weren't that serious, so uh, we came up that the original Hungry Ass Youth from the 80s was from the mid-80s. Uh, From 86 to 88. Yeah. Classic. Uh, classic. A two-year span. Classic hardcore years. Exactly. Yes. By the way, very long time for a band back then. Two years of a hardcore exactly, band Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. So the story goes that it's Jesse's uncle's band originally. Tony Castro. Tony Castro, which My is a fictional made uncle. Of- Shout out to t- R.I.P. Tony Castro. Yeah, yes. Tony Mega Gut. Tony, Mega his nickname was Gut. Mega Gut Castro. Yeah, so... <laughs> He, uh, so tragically, he died of heart failure. This uh, fictional at the character. age of twenty-seven. <laughs> Damn, dude, you still remember yeah. all that? <laughs> no, you, it's about the details. Yeah, these, the details these stories man. only work if you know the details. So the best part, I think, you know, I'll fucking summarize it. The best part of this shit was that uh, we took pictures of our friends wearing like old school punk band shirts, all tore up, uh, and they're friends that don't really kick it too much in the scene. So not not anybody would recognize them it was like one of Jesse's cousins yeah Big Polly and, and Big, Big Polly and Big Fat Rick yeah um, so, <laughs> names of endearment yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. names, names of, endearment. of endearment exactly yeah so we took a picture of him in an alley you know leaning against a wall drinking a 40 cut up clothes and uh, we photoshopped it where it made the picture look kind of wilted you know sepia toning kind of you know like a- it looked grainy like 80s yeah, style yeah so people started believing the story <laughs> You know, what's funny is that uh, I had musicians uh, who wanted to try out for drums at the time say, like, uh, I'd like to try out for your band, but you know what? Like, I, it's kind of intimidating. You know, you guys are from the 80s and everything. And, like, <laughs> and I used to listen to those demos when I was growing up. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we had people lie to us about it, too. The funniest thing, they had cassette tapes and all that. Right? Yeah, so yeah there, was a guy, there was a guy who, who asked me at a show, hey, I paid top dollar for the original demos. Uh, I'm a collector of old rare punk. And I was like, fuck, I wish we had something so we could sell. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, hey, k- give, me a, give me like a day and I have to go to Radio Shack yeah. and I'll yeah. be yeah. Yeah. record on a fucking boombox. Maxwell tips, the black and gold ones. But you guys still do pull influence from that genre of music, though. Like, oh, of course. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it works because when you listen to music that, that you guys put out, you go, yeah, this is an 80s hardcore band. Like, this right. has got stuff in there. What do you love about what those bands stood for? And forget the fake story, but like, what was important to draw from those influences? Well, in the original days, and you can you can hear it very clear, clearly in the music. For example, our, uh, we have a song called "The Hungry Ass Youth," and I remember when we recorded that song. At the time, I was listening to a lot of Dag Nasty. Yeah, it sounds they're, a lot like that. From DC, they have a song called uh, uh, "What's It Called?" Um, Ken. Can I say? Or can I say? Yeah, yeah. can I say? Because it goes. That's not can I say. That's that's another one. <laughs> whatever, no, it doesn't matter. No, no, that is can I say. That is can I say. Oh yeah, yeah. It is, no, it is. Ooh, who's oh, right yeah. now? Oh, so <laughs> no, the point is, we were whatever we were listening to at the time. So it was Dag Nasty, a lot of DRI, suicidal, circle jerks. A lot of that stuff went into our music, and we realized we're not doing anything new under the sun. Like like punk is. It's been played so many times, right? So we just kind of put our own little spin on it, and then the the food part, like it, what kind of altered it? It's what made it like uh, unique. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But 
uh, Descendants was a huge influence on Hungry Ass Youth. Yep. Can you you want to yeah. elaborate on that, Flea? Well, growing up, Descendants were one of my favorite bands. Still are. Um, I've always liked that they can fucking write a song called "I Like Food" or "Wiener Schnitzel." Oh, you know, I like food. Food tastes good. Yeah, exactly. there you go. So the simplicity of like that short ass song, I just thought you know we can be trying to write like Metallica shit, or fucking you know write short songs about the stuff that is more you know is real to us rather than some like exactly fantasy shit. You know. Uh, well, let's hear your spin. What's the first song you're gonna play? The first song that we're gonna play is going to be. Face the uh, fat. Face the fat. Right, but we're going to do an introduction that we usually do at live shows, which is going to go into Face the Fat. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, great. Well, here we go. Hungry Ass Youth at Danger Bird Record Studios in Silver Lake, live on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, weighing a combined total of 666 pounds, I give you Hungry Yes. Hell yeah. That was cool. That was cool. So, for those who don't know much about the SGV punk scene, what's it like? What are the backyard shows like? What do uh, what do people not know about it? Well, we want to th- it's still it's still fucking alive and kicking, man. When anybody says, I've heard people say from LA, you know, like the like central LA area, saying like, oh, like punk is dead in like certain areas. 
including ours. But nah, man, I think SGV has kept going <clears throat> for a really long time. Um, there's still backyard gigs like every other week. Um, a lot of club shows like VFW Hall. We, we're playing so, uh, one. VFW, <clears throat> American Legion. We're actually playing one coming up uh, July 5th in uh, uh, Baldwin Park, which is the hub. That the, the city's the th- the city's nickname is the hub of the San Gabriel Valley, so <laughs> so yeah we're playing that July fifth with a bunch of rad bands. Uh, San Gabriel Valley hardcore punk it thrives. Uh, it's I mean it's I don't know I feel like it doesn't get a lot of attention like other like the South Bay has a good scene. I mean you got also like even Oxnard like that like the Nardcore. Uh, I feel like San Gabriel Valley even I would even say like IE Riverside. Like we don't get like a lot of attention because we're east, we're east of LA. SGV gets overshadowed by East LA, all exactly. these East yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Right. Uh, but what keeps it going though? I mean, if you feel that you got that, I mean, having a chip on your shoulder is a great way to have a punk band. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, beyond that, why are there so many bands that are still there putting it out? Why does the community keep thriving? I think because the kids still have heart, and you know, if a young kid f- picks up, you know, his older brother's DRI tape or something, you know, and he feels it, genuinely is into it, he's gonna want to pick up a guitar, and you know, start his own band. You know, it might suck in the beginning, but you know, as long as the heart's there, playing the backyards, you know, that's no, all it takes. I would say in the camaraderie, like, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I've known this guy since I was a teenager, and it's kind of crazy going from being 18 to now like our 30s. And we've seen each other grow up. All these guys, Josh and yep. Travis, we met each other very young. And, like, we've all remained tight friends. And I kind of love that idea, you know, that we're like a brotherhood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys want to say something? Travis, what do you think, man? About the SU? You get These guys played in a different... When we first started Hungry Ass Youth, they were their own band. Yeah, they were called Downright Aggression. From Monrovia, From which Monrovia. is another city in the SUV. Yeah. Right. Uh, Danny Rodriguez. Uh, Danny Rodriguez. <laughs> Wherever he is. Smallest city in. R.I.P. Not just yeah, kidding. He's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think about what do you think about the scene and why do you love it so much? I love it because it's like it brings us all together. You know, um, just <clears throat> just playing shows. Even if it, even if there's not a huge crowd there, uh, I mean the bands that do show up, like we all get along. Like and sometimes we catch bands that are fresh, and uh, I mean then you know. They become friends also, you know, and it just it's like a never ending cycle. <clears throat> but uh like just the friendship we have like in in San Gabriel Valley, LA area, just the all around surrounding areas, it's it's, it's great, you know. And, yeah, we're tired. I mean, I love that sense of community and I love that sense of just creating stuff, even if it's for each other. Yeah. And I think that's where you create the best stuff when you're not thinking Oh, will this get popular? Will this be exciting to someone else outside of the scene? You're making stuff for the community, right? Yeah, making music for like-minded people and people who like the same kind of shit that we do. Nope. Have a sense of humor. Yeah, it's yeah. Very important. We're funny guys. Yeah, go ahead, Travis. Nothing. I was just, I was just gonna say, yeah. All, all my best friends are from punk rock and hardcore. I don't make new friends. Damn, Travis. No Sorry, new friends. I'm all, I'm all filled up on friends. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> that top eight is full yeah. up. There you go. Um, now, the other amazing export of the SGV is food. And as boys oh, yeah. who are super into food, uh, what are your favorite places to eat there? And then also, what are the places that, if you aren't from the SGV, you do not know about? You, and, of course, I want them so I can go eat there. But if yeah. you don't feel like giving up your favorite secrets, I also understand. There's, there was a place called Mr. Pizza. Uh, it has a different name now. In El Monte, but, right? Yeah, in El Monte. 
Uh, I think it's called The One. I, it's under new management, but growing up, that was a pizza place to go to. Um, Why, though? What, what was uh, well, special we, about the pizza? Uh, it was dirt cheap, one. You can get two large pizzas for the price of one, mm. but the fucking crust was good. Like, I would eat the whole shit. It was like a buttery crust or what? No, nah, I don't. Well, these guys make fun of me because they say, oh, Flea doesn't eat crust. My reasoning for that is because uh, I like to eat more of the pie than everybody else. Fair. So I'll save the crust for last. So I'll. I'll, you know, I, that's the only time that I apply like mathematics. Like, all right, if this guy's eating, if this guy's eating at a rate, you know, I gotta eat more than him. So I'll save the crust for last because it doesn't, it doesn't have cheese. Oh, now I'm starving. Can we order a pizza? Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got uh, Silver Lake pizza. All right. All right. Um, I wanted to say one of my favorite spots. Go ahead, hit it. Still time. I mean, I love. I mean, I love eating. You know, pizza is one, but uh, Mexican food. I love tacos. Oh, yeah. uh, growing up, there yeah, was a little taco Mexican truck food. in Highland Park called El Pique. That was like my go-to taco truck. It's under new management now, and I, I don't know if they changed the salsa or whatever, but or the carne asada is not like made the same. So, but I want to give a shout out to my uh, homie uh, Javier, the oh, yeah, shout out. to Cabral. He's he's a food critic, and he's actually shown me a lot of good food. Yeah, uh, in the SUV especially, we have a, a, a the barbecue place or Robbins. Which one? You have the mic, man? The, I'm talking. the barbecue yeah. place? I don't know yeah, what barbecue no, they, place they, you're talking they, about. They, they, if you don't know it, if you, if you oh, don't know bar- it. Oh, East LA Barbecue. East LA Barbecue. Oh, East LA Barbecue, oh, shout out. Yeah, yeah East LA Barbecue, man. They're, yeah, we're also sponsored by El Taco Man, El Mero Mero Tapero. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's your, that's his neighbor's business. Yeah, that's they're good friends of mine. Uh, they always hook it up. They're they were fucking, the first. They're tacos there, dorados. There or? is that good overlap of... You know, affordable, good mm-hmm. Mexican food and dumplings and pizza and things like that, and hardcore punk bands. Yeah, that, I mean, it really supports each other. Especially, I remember growing up and knowing where all the you know in Philadelphia, where all the places where you could go after a show to get good food that wasn't crazy expensive. We have we had that in South Omani. It was a place Rest called Omanias. 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 Um, for those who don't know, was a place, uh, it's fam- I would say infamous because their burritos <laughs> always gave you chorro, diarrhea. <laughs> dirty, <laughs> dirty ass place. Yeah. yeah, the place was open till like awesome. four in the morning. So, you know, you'd see a bunch of like hookers and drug addicts there at four in the morning. But um, it, it was great. It was a yeah, good place. It was great. Another good, legit burger spot, dude, is down the street from where I live. Uh, what's it called? The the metal the metal burger place. Metal burger. Oh yeah, grill them all. Yeah, grill them all. Oh yeah, grill them all. They, oh, yeah. they took like the hardcore metal, Ethos. whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then they put it with food. And I love going down there. Yeah. I mean, I don't eat out at the time, but if anybody yeah. in, from Grill them all hears us, uh, we <laughs> yeah, want a burger named after us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, but uh, that place is hungry a fine establishment. I, I mean, I, really I eat a hungry ass youth burger. Coming soon, hungry ass. Oh yeah, burger. dude. Um, all right, let's get another song in. Yeah, let's do it. What do you got next? <laughs> We're gonna, our next song was Dinosaurs so Oh we, yeah Yeah One of your, one of your uncle's songs Right uh, Actually This is the first song I ever wrote Ever When I was 14 Parts of it Not the whole thing But the idea was like When I was from a teenager And so I'm very happy That we're still doing it now Awesome <laughs> Alright here we go Dinosaurs by Hungry Ass Youth On Snacky Tunes
Warzone. This is a good shred. Uh, what I love about your lyrics is you guys put your money where your mouth is and sing a lot about food. Yes. Um, fruit. Food. Oh. I, don't, I mean, <laughs> not fruit. one and the same. I, assume that, I, don't, I haven't heard a lot of fruit lyrics. Pineapple I've on I've never tried pizza. fruit. Yeah. Uh, is there bacon on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but why do you guys love singing about food? What do you love about writing about food? Everybody likes food. That's why you know. Yeah, we're. I love eating to, food. I live. I live to eat. You know, so I'm always. Yeah, dude. No, 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 no. no. Eat to live. No, no, no. Live to eat. Some people could give a shit about eating. They're just like, oh, I got my next meal. Whatever. I'm currently always thinking about my next meal. Yeah, I'd rather not associate myself with those type of people. To Have be you, honest, it's like, the, it's like the, there's two types of people that I've met who I go, I want nothing to do with you. One is the people who go, I whatever. I don't care what we eat. And the person who goes. I'm not really into music. And I go, what? Wow. I've never met out of here, dude. I've never met anyone who said both, because then I go, what do you do? I don't know. No. But um, what do you love about, you know, when you guys start writing about food and when you guys thinking about uh, writing about food, uh, like what inspires you? I think uh, it came from a time where me and Jesse were getting really drunk at BJ's. Uh, we at the, what's it? Uh, Make pizza there. Um, We were getting really fucked up and... Uh, we came up with the idea of why don't we start a band that talks about overeating, gluttony, you know, anti-health. And I wanted to call the band Food Fight because I was just imagining this raging band that like just, you know, over the top. And Jesse came up with, actually came up with the name Hungry Ass Youth. And right. um, yeah, but that's how the, that's the day that it came, mm-hmm. we came up with the idea. And then we, we got a couple of musicians who wanted to try out. And then uh, we started writing the songs originally and uh, we went through like what three three drummers. Pretty We've been through a, a number of players, that's for sure. But uh, I mean, I just we love to eat food. Like I said earlier, we're a culture. Even if you know in the San Gabriel Valley, I guess we love to eat food. Well, uh, like we like to eat and socialize. And there was a time period where we had like this crew, this crew of friends, and we would meet up at uh, three ninety nine Pizza, mm. which was in Baldwin Park. Oh yeah, and we would. There was like twenty, maybe thirty of us. Like, we would go do softball. Yeah, we would play baseball first, yeah. Right, and then after the after party was at 399 Pizza, our local pizzeria. Pitchers and 399 Right, get yeah. a bunch oh, of pitchers, yeah. a beer, and then just eating it's, pizza. It's the poor man's shakies. So imagine a bunch of, uh, you know, like, soccer moms and, like, uh, you know, little league baseball teams, you know, enjoying themselves, and then here comes thirty fucking punk rockers, yeah. punks and skins, tattooed, you know, overweight, scooting their kids sweaty. a lot closer. Yeah. Um, you guys cook a lot too. I'm actually starting to cook a lot more because my wife is forcing me. Oh. She's like, Same here. You've grown up a spoiled little brat. Your mom has been taking care of you, so now you're gonna cook. So Same like, here, man. Shout yeah, out to my cook. mom for making the best. Shout out to please, mom, bomb tamales. Yeah. What's your yeah. mom? Your mom makes. My mom makes everything. Uh, she's got like. She's got the best Everything, salsa ever. The best salsa Josh best knows. Salsa. I, whenever I go visit my mom, I take a full Ziploc bag of her homemade green salsa. She roasts mm. the chilies. It's, it looks like nothing that you can get like at a store. It's like big chunks of tomato. Oh, yeah. Um, she sells tamales. I noticed time. that there's no bag of salsa here. So Had I known, I would have brought yeah. a whole <laughs> barbecue. My mom usually makes a tub. If you see like a, a container... Like a random like sour cream container, you open that up. There's salsa in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like last week, they were having like a serious ass conversation, and I just like randomly was like, "Hey, 
your mom any your mom got any of that salsa? <laughs> <laughs> hey, she's on deck, homie. Hit me up. Yeah. Oh, I'm lit. sorry to interrupt this conversation, but does your mom have salsa? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to taste your mom's salsa. No, uh, about the cook. <laughs> I, I, I love to cook. I I love to cook. I, uh, living alone, I mean, I don't get to cook all the time, but when I do, I mean, I'd say my best friend would be the crock pot, man. Oh yeah, oh yeah, chili. <laughs> oh, yeah, here chili. we go. Travis doesn't cook. That's good. <laughs> I do cook. Pressure cooker hardcore. That's what I, that's what I do. Fuck yeah. That's, that's oh, yeah. a new song right there. I throw everything in one pressure cooker and it's done. That's like 20 <laughs> minutes. I don't, 20 minutes. I, I don't mess around with that. I'm always afraid I'm going to blow my face off. Like, yeah. Throw a ham sandwich yeah. in a fucking pressure cooker. I might have an accident one day, but yeah. So wait, now that you're cooking, uh-huh. what are you cooking? Yeah, like um, my, my lady has me doing a lot of sauteing. So oh, I'll yeah? like a lot of onions, I'll mince garlic, I'll throw in like <laughs> bell, lady has bell peppers, <laughs> and then that'll usually a, a, accompany some, ty- some type of meat, you know, and then I'll have to like put it in the oven, like some bread, you know, like it's, I'm not like overly complicated, that sounds good. but I'm, I'm getting there, you know, but my but, wife's more the cook, right? Like I, I didn't know what a charcuterie was and, oh, I, yeah. and I learned like what? a charcuterie. <laughs> Which like like the the sliced meats very, and very fancy deli platter, right? Right, and I, fancy. I didn't grow up on that kind of stuff. You know, I came from a working class family, but my my lady did. She came from like vineyards and all that good stuff. I love charcuterie. Like I'll have charcuterie for dinner. You got to make some for the band, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll get that. What is that? The wild boar, boar's head. Get oh that yeah, boar's head meat. Compromise mm-hmm. elsewhere. Boar's head, boar's head. So before we get to our last song, one of the f- best stories I've ever heard about you guys is that at your very first show, you brought pizza, and there were guys eating slices in the pit. Right. Um, pizza pit. Pizza pit. Pizza pit. Uh, yep. How how often are you bringing food to your shows? Oh man. We don't really do it that much anymore, but yeah. in the beginning we we did it when we didn't have to pay so much on our bills and I don't know what else. We yeah. were, we had you know we would bring a lot more food, not just pizza. We'd bring hamburgers from the throw like, McDoubles at McDonald's people, McDonald's or whatever, yeah. fastballing right. fucking cheeseburgers at fast, people. Fastball McDouble, yeah. Ooh. So yeah, not we, a bad song. Fastball McDoubles. It's on our next album. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah. To answer your question, um, yeah, man, we had a, our first backyard gig. As a matter of fact, we brought like what, like five pizzas, like two gigantes from was, La, La Pizza Loca. Oh yeah, that was which is a local most, pizza most place. Bang for your buck. Um, <laughs> it was cool because there's pictures of a dusty ass backyard pit and people holding up slices in the air. There's even a picture of James Yapo, who's uh, it's a band that I'm yeah. in. Uh, he's holding up the pizza box to see if there's anything left, and there's right. nothing. It got eaten up. It was like a wall-to-wall pit. The pit was huge. That's because you were eating the crust last and yeah. eating all that I pizza. Was, I was hoarding yep. the crust behind my amp. There's, crust there's a show uh, not that long ago. The kids had pizza, and they had signed pizza boxes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, that's right. We did yeah, a set cool. list on a pizza cool. box. <laughs> Dude, that's that was, awesome. That yeah. was like, oh, okay, the next was, song. It wasn't that legible because of all the grease stains. Right? <laughs> 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 Uh, well, I want to thank you guys for coming. Uh, if people yeah. want to find your music or find you online or go to your next show, where can they find you? If you go to Google or any in- uh, internet search engine, just type in Hungry, H-U-N-G-R-Y, Ass, A-S-S, Youth, Y-O-U-T-H. We're on all the social live Jesse doesn't think much of our listeners. Very, very searchable name. Yeah, yeah, We're on YouTube. Like We're on, we have TuneCore, so... You can oh, find awesome. us everywhere. Spotify. Instagram. Spotify, yeah. Oh, yeah. Next yeah. time you go out for pizza, throw that on the playlist, right? There you go. Uh, well, I want to thank Danger Bird Records always. I want to thank, thank uh, you, Danger Bird. Andy in the studio, Kong, Greg, 
Uh, yeah, thank you guys. Thank uh, Javier for connecting us. Yeah, AKA Glutster. the Glutster. Glutster. And his lady. Glutster. His lady, Paola. She's an amazing cook. Oh, yeah. Um, and the last song you got has to do with pizza, right? The song is came off our original demo back in 2007, 1986. But yeah, pizza. And we're going to re it the right way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, hey, and if any of you collectors out there have that original uh, cassette tape, I'm willing to pay top dollar. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find it on eBay soon, man. Trust me. <laughs> um, hey, how'd you find your tour? Uh, we found a whole stash of demos. <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you guys. We'll see you next time on Snacky oh, Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.